Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs. I'm Glenn Harper. Julie Smith. Julie, what you got? You got an off-brand coffee today. I knew you were going to ask, so I don't know for our fellow listeners, but Sheets, I had to get gas this morning, and so I, their coffee's not bad. You're cheating on Starbucks. That's, that's I know. That's I'm going to get ruin, a lot of backlash for that. It's going to ruin the whole endorsement contract. All right. Well, we've got a special treat for you today. We've got uh, Robert Glazer has put the B in busy. Rob found a way to teach companies to teach leaders, not workers. He's an entrepreneur who has decided that writing books and public speaking is the best way to feed his ADD. His primary business is Acceleration Partners, a worldwide marketing agency. He publishes. He also publishes Friday Forward, a weekly newsletter that has some 200,000 readers look forward to every week. And authored a few books just for fun, such as Elevate and Friday Forward. He enjoys getting up on stage and speaking to people who want to grow. Of course, he loves to share his story and provide inspiration to others to get out of their own way and be the best they can be. Thanks, Rob, for being on our show. Hey, look, that's the first time I've heard the ADD intro used. I don't know where you got it from, but it's true. Uh, so that's not part of the standard bio. Right. Well, we figured... You've done your homework. Yeah. Well, right. A any entrepreneur has it in a really bad case. And and by looking through you, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's he fits in right with us. Yeah. Glenn right. likes to write your own bio in, in case you haven't picked up on that. <laughs> it's it's always something a little little off the path that was maybe not provided online. Yes. I, I, I like that. It gets, it gets boring with the, yes. uh, oh, you know, yeah. reading the same one. Yeah. Horrible. Well, I tell you, you know, I just have a few warm up questions to try to get you to know a little bit and get things going on. And, and in my extensive research arm at, uh, at Empowering Entrepreneurs, I, I've got these few questions and I, I'm hopefully though you can figure them out for me, but he's sweating right now. Who is me? Oh, <laughs> no, Rob. no, no, Rob's golden. He's, he does this for a living. I'm good. I'm trying to figure out is Acceleration Partners Agency. Is that like Sterling Cooper ad agency for Mad Men? Is it the same type of thing? No, that'd be much uh, more interesting. Yeah, um, but Acceleration Partners, we're kind of a big fish in a small pond. Uh, we focus in this niche called affiliate and partner marketing. So helping brands build these large digitized partnerships where instead of getting paid for an impression or a click, the partner kind of signs up and using technology, they're paid for all the leads they send or the sales they send uh, on a real-time basis. And so sometimes it's managing hundreds or thousands of, of partners. So we've we've really become kind of the biggest firm in the world that does this agency. We have about almost 325 people in I think seven or eight different countries managing some of the largest programs in the world. So you're not drinking scotch all afternoon is what you're saying. No, no, okay. no, no triple martini lunches. Yes. Uh, you know, sadly, since COVID, all of our clients are, are probably remote too. So we can't even yeah. get them to go out to dinner anymore. Oh, wow. Well, you know, it's a, a funny thing, too, is I'm trying to do a little research and find out where you're from, and, and uh, you're very elusive on that. And I'm, I'm going to guess Topeka, Kansas, but I might be off a little bit. Is that 
where you're from I'm, originally. I'm elusive and where I'm from. Uh, yes. Google would, Google, I'm, I'm from Boston. Yeah, well, it's Brookline, really? Is that yeah. true? Yes. Brookline, yeah. And, and so, again, it's always fun to see where people come from and how they get where they get and what's going on. And uh, I guess you're based out in Needham, Massachusetts, right, at this point? And, yeah, uh, I, I moved from Brookline to Newton to Needham. Those are all concentric towns, so I have not made it very far. I had a brief stint in Arlington, Virginia, um, but then my wife and I are both from from Boston area. Yeah, we call those the West Virginia move. You just move next door, throw everything over the fence, and there you are. So that's where you're at. And I, I, I'm wondering, are you close to the Needham Town Forest? Um, you know, rumor has it that uh, Robin Hood spent some time there hiding out from the Redcoats. Are you near that forest? Uh, I am near that. I've gone mountain biking there several times. Sweet. It's cool when you get a forest in the middle of a suburb when they call it that. I thought that was unique. Yeah. Um, so it looks like you love the uh, the working remotely space um, and you're a big advocate of that. And from near as I can tell, um, you mostly mostly work remotely from either the mountains or the beach somewhere. Is that is that true or is that just vacations? Uh, that's just vacations. I'm more of a, more of a mountain than a beach guy. Yeah, we, we've been fully remote for uh, almost 13, 14 years. It, it started just from a talent issue in the U.S. and we used to keep it kind of hidden from our clients because we're working for all these big clients this is before zoom. And it was just kind of weird at the time. And it wasn't about, I've never been kind of the, you know, remote for remote there were people I'd get asked to speak at conferences. And this is before COVID around kind of these companies all about remote. We were kind of about flexibility and accountability and it, and it was a niche industry and needing talent. And we thought we'd grow out of it, but then people really liked it. We had a lot of parents of young kids and they liked Actually, we, we get together a lot and we do things together, but um, getting talent was hard. Uh, if we just set up in in our industry, as I said, kind of big fish in a small pond, one city, we would not have, there wouldn't have been enough people with experience uh, what we do. So our culture was really built around kind of this accountability and flexibility. I think we knew how to do this before COVID and COVID hits. And now suddenly, you know, I'm being asked to speak about this and talk about this. And I think a lot of companies you know, rushed to hire people and said, oh, you can work from home. But they just really didn't build their systems or culture around that. And a lot of that's kind of falling apart now. Um, so in some ways, like I'm happy about that because I think we had kind of a unique advantage. And then after COVID, everyone would just say anything to get anyone to come mm -hmm. work for them. And now I think we're starting to sort out like who's serious about this. Who's It's very different having your entire team remote, having specific events designed around that, having things where the team gets together, uh, having everyone communicate on the same page or having an entire team in San Francisco and someone who's remote in Pennsylvania kind of joining in on Zoom on in-office meetings. Like I, I, I don't think people thought through a little bit what that dynamic might look like in some of these cases. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you were a pioneer in that before it was even trendy and cool. So when it became cool, you're like, yeah, I already got this. This is easy. So that's kind of exciting. I tried to warn people that it wasn't, not all remote was the same. I think, again, during the great resignation craziness, it didn't matter what you said to anyone. But, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that shake out right now. And the people who really don't want to do it or weren't committed to it now are kind of telling people they have to come back to the office and change their mind. Again, we always had an environment that was, if you are accountable, you can get the flexibility. A lot of remote work has no accountability these days. Or people have said to me, hey, we've got Julie on our team. And Julie like doesn't want to come to anything or do anything and just wants to kind of sit home alone and do her work. I'm like, well, what kind of culture do you want? Like, is that is that are, are you making that permissible or not permissible? Like this is <laughs> this is where lead, lead, leaders need to lead. You need to step up and decide like what what it is that you want and not be kind of a wuss around it. I think 
I think so many leaders have been afraid about upsetting one contingent of their employees by sort of declaring what they're doing that they have all of them confused as to what the actual long-term solution is. Yeah, it's weird. These uh, the big thing is all these uh, remote workers are doing the co-employment thing, right? They're working for two different companies, drawing two salaries, and saying they're working, and uh, yeah. it's just hard to navigate that. So I think if you can bring people in every once in a while to the real office or meet up, I think you can eliminate some of those things, right? And that's that's the whole culture thing you're talking about. Your uh, your college journey, uh, you spent some time at the University of Pennsylvania where you got your BS in business along with industrial psychology, which is an interesting one on its own. But, you know, why didn't you choose like a solid Big Ten school like Penn State? <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, done all these college tours and stuff now with my kids. Like, you just didn't do that back mm -hmm. then. I, there were less flights. There wasn't the, so you kind of, you do with what you, what, what you know. And I had a, a bunch of family that had gone to Penn and kind of grew uh -huh. up knowing that school and wanted the city. Um, so, uh, that was, a, that was a great experience, but yeah, if I could go back and do it again, I would say having been in service businesses now for most of my career, psychology stuff has been much more useful than the business stuff. Crazy. And that who knew generally. Yeah. Did you do any sculling on the, uh, Schuylkill river at all while you're at university of Penn? I watched it, but I, I, I did uh, not. I was, I was, you hear about that. You see that in movies, just wonder who actually gets to do that. I just didn't know if you're yeah. that guy. Um, those are expensive boats. Oh they boy. Oh boy. Yeah. We just go borrow one. They don't care. They don't care. Exactly. So, you know, part of this thing is trying to figure out, you know, for our listeners is, is the entrepreneurial journey. What, what does that look like? How does one get started? And, you know, when I look, when I stalked you a little bit, you only hit your LinkedIn only has 20 work experiences, which is not a lot, right? I'm kidding, of course, but you know, how does one decide, how did you decide that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was it when you grew up that way? Is it once you went to college? Is it after you had a few you know, positions and you're like, wait a minute, I can do this better myself. When did that resonate with you? I think I, so I was always entrepreneurial, creative entrepreneur. I wanted to do it my way. I also, I had a not great paradoxical thing of, I had sort of a low risk tolerance. And so while I was very passionate, I wanted to do things. I didn't really kind of, uh, you know, uh, take that risk. And then eventually I, I remember talking to a friend of mine and he wanted me to move to San Francisco to work at his company. I had been working with them on something. And he said, you know, if you don't take this job, you're basically going to become unemployable. And, and, <laughs> and he didn't, he goes, this could be the last job you have. And, and he didn't mean that like, in a negative way. He's just like, I just don't see you working for other people much longer. And I think I actually reached a point of frustration uh, with other people and, and, and sort of flipped. And I was like, look, I, I feel more comfortable being in charge of my own uh, career and, and, and future. And, and particularly the last experience I had had, which was helping two other founders build a business and, and then sort of setting up a clear divide between where the founders and the other two people on the executive team are, are, are not. I, I was good at growing things. I was good at building things. Uh, so I ended up starting a company where we did that for other companies, but we also did it for ourselves because we were our own brand. You know, we worked with all these cool growth companies, but without all the chaos and stuff that I, you know, saw ensue. So I, I just hit a breaking point. And once I, that switch flipped, uh, there was absolutely no, uh, going back. I, I do think it's funny how, you know, I think the advice of 
you know, get up, get a good safe job, all this stuff. I, I, I'm not sure that there's any safe job today where you have no mm-hmm. control over it. And that, that's not just the companies. I mean, think about the industry changes, the speed of change, the supply chain, the this, the that. And so for some people like, look, I'd rather, I, I, I much rather be uh, in charge of this, but um, it's harder than it looks like, look, there are a lot of people, particularly kind of, you know, Gen Y, Gen Z, who they've got a, you know, I, I always like the phrase, there's no heckling in the play. Like, so you invite people up, you know, they've got an opinion on everything and they say you should do it. And you, then you look at their resume and they've got nine, one year jobs. And it's like, look, it's, I mean, it's, it's harder than it looks like, come, come, come try, come, come, come make these decisions. It's not, it's not for, it's not for everyone. What, what age were you when you decided that, Hey, I'm, I'm, it's time to tap out and do my own thing. Uh, I was 27 years old with a six month old. Again, back to the adage of there's no, Perfect there's time. no good, no good time. There is no good. There's no good time to have a kid. There's no good time to get married. There's no good time for tragedies to happen. It's never, I mean, those are all excuses we can use in perpetuity. Well, it's not only, it's never a good time, but if you wait till you have enough money to get married, to have kids or start a business, you'll never do that either. So it's one of those things you just got to sure. go. Did you, yeah, do- you either have to have the passion or, or again, the switch flips and you're like, look, I, it, it was boring to me to get the same paycheck. I mean, I like the notion of work hard, see the results, bigger checks come in the mail. Uh, that's not for everyone though. And I think there are, I think there are entrepreneurs and there are entrepreneurs and there's a big difference. Right. Um, and uh, an entrepreneur is that person at the company who's really good at doing the new things, taking it on. Sometimes they come through an acquisition or otherwise, but the difference is like, they want to do that from the risk and security. Like they like having the, 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 you know, they don't like jumping out of the plane, you know, without, with the engines, you know, not working fully. And they like having the backpack and the thing, the, the entrepreneur, like just, that is so unenticing to them at some point that they would rather jump out of the plane without the parachute, figure out the engine as they're going to it. And I think you really need to figure out which kind you are because some people, and again, the other big difference I found is the true entrepreneurs like, look, I I think we're going to go to X, but like, I don't know how it's going to go left. It's going to go right. You've seen this thing of the path, like where you start and then there's the end. And then, you know, it looks like this. Some of the people I know that are kind of fake entrepreneur, they just, they won't start the thing until they feel that they can map out every possible step and how it's going to go in the three or four years. And you're just like, that's not going to happen. None of that. It's not, it's not going to look at that. So you, it's probably not in your DNA if you're not willing to even start until you've mapped out exactly how everything's going to go, because it's not going to go like that. And it's actually more about how you respond when it doesn't. Yeah. So we talk a lot about the peaks and valleys and yeah, yeah. being an entrepreneur and you kind of spoke, you know, the chart I'm talking about <laughs> like that. There's like a flag and a guy and then, yeah, you kind of have the bottom all bloody and trying just to, to get back right. up. But so as you, you've obviously went through that mul- multiple times. What do you think? Do you think you learn more in the peaks or the valleys? And then as you answer that, what is the biggest thing that you've been able to kind of learn and grow and evolve from as you've been through your journey in regards to those peaks and valleys? Yeah, I, um, I think you definitely learn more from the valleys, right? Uh, and oftentimes the peaks are just uh, market stuff and things that are frothy and you think you're brilliant and but everyone's got unlimited venture capital spend and <laughs> needs to spend it today. Um and then you see a lot of people quit in the valley. I mean, one of the things for me in the last couple of years, I've written about this and talked about this is like, 
I think it's fine if it, it was in a wake up moment for you to change industries or change companies because you didn't like the people, you didn't like what you were doing. But a lot of people wa- just want to change because it was hard and they wanted that kind of hardness to be wiped out. Like that's not really a thing. Uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people switch jobs and be equally as unhappy, you know, in the new one. But you can't just, sometimes things are hard and it's about getting through it. And if you've ever listened to how I built this or all this show, you, These are where everyone else would have quit, you know, at their kind of darkest, hardest uh, moment. So I think, look, uh, what you've kind of find out is whether you're whether you're really interested in it and the people in the journey and you're willing to see it way through. If you're willing to quit at the um, first sign of any trouble, then it's not something you're really that interested in. I think what I've learned through the valleys is about who you want to be in the foxhole with. I think, you know, when I was in my 20s, 30s, and you're thinking about oh, what company do I want to work with or whatever, it was about, oh, they're doing something cool or they're doing something cool. Getting your 30s and 40s, I think you start to realize like who, like the who is much more important. You're going to have these ups and downs. When you're in the trenches, you know, people, you know, you see people turn, uh, <laughs> when people apply a little pressure, you see who they are and you kind of like, who are the types of people I want to work with and who do I want to be in the foxhole with so that's what i kind of learn every time on the way down like i'm either super impressed with people or i see that you know this person's great at riding the waves but as soon as you apply a little bit of pressure they totally fall apart that's not someone who i want to be on a kind of long-term journey with yeah it's it's (laughs) funny the uh the entrepreneurial mindset of the reason we choose this is because it's hard like we don't we're not if we're not challenged, we feel like we're wasting our time and wasting our skill set, right? If you just go to work and do what you do and you're not making an impact, you're just putting in your time, how can that be rewarding? We again, the 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 purpose of this podcast is is obviously to inspire entrepreneurs to kind of just keep going, right? If if there's a, a path to it because it is hard and we're just programmed. If we like waking up negative and we have to make that happen for the day, it's very rewarding. And to wake up and just show up somewhere just doesn't seem to get it done. So again, most entrepreneurs, yourself, you're, we're psychos. I mean, who does that? Who chooses that for a living when you can just go have a nice job and have a beer on the weekend and relax? We, we just don't do that, right? So an entrepreneur, once you know that about yourself, just recognize you got to just embrace it. Don't fight it, right? Just and, embrace and it. Pro- pro- problem solvers. And look, most businesses, it's a struggle right now. But having talked to so many other leaders, what they found is like, you're coming off five of 10 years in some cases of just adding. And very mm-hmm. frankly, products and people and things and whatever probably haven't worked for a while, but no one had the time to really look into it. And now they're looking into it now. And I, I so many companies are have stopped doing things and actually have seen addition from subtraction where they're just kind of, again, look like it's a moment to say... I, I mean, I'm forced to now rethink my resource allocation and all this stuff. And am I doing something that, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, uh, uh, work. Um, so I, 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 I've seen a lot of people recalibrating their teams, their business models and things, you know, there's a, I think it was Buffett or Munger. I never can tell said when you, when the water goes out, you see who's not wearing their bathing suit. And I always thought that was a good, that's a great good analogy. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> So as you went through these peaks and valleys and you talk about, you know, what you, what you believe you've learned the most, you're right. Like, who do you want on your team? Who do you want beside you? At what point in your journey did you decide to build a team? Was that really early on or did it take some time for you to, to get there? No, that was an inflection point of growing really fast, hiring lots of people to do the work, being totally burnt out, doing everything. And I think sometimes you got to, I, I was like, I just, 
I, I, it was a fork. Like I couldn't do it anymore. So, um, you know, the last, I started giving up things. I think the last thing I gave, it's so funny now I can't remember. I mean, <laughs> it's usually finance. Like, I think that's the hardest one. Like I would send the invoices every month. It's really hard to give that away. But once you start doing that, then you're like, kind of start giving away everything. You're like, look, how do I find someone smarter at each of these things? I think to me, the entrepreneur is often, I they come from different disciplines, right? They can come from finance, or maybe not finance usually, but they come from sales a lot of times. They come from, you know, operating or different things or product development. Uh, but they, to me, they're a little bit of the executive producer, right? They're, they're not great at any of those things individually. They're very good at pulling it all together, seeing the story, rallying, getting the financing, getting the director, getting the actors, you know, that that's that's what they're good at. And so being put in a position to do that. In fact, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I, I wrote an article on this, which I updated recently. They take the CEO title early on. And I wouldn't do that. First of all, you should not call yourself CEO when you don't have an executive team. You can be president, um, but CEO means, you know, chief executive officer. I actually didn't take the title until we were over a hundred people. I was general manager and then we had other general managers and it was like very confusing to people. Um, but you should think about like, what, what do you like to do? If you like to sell, then maybe you should sell. If you like to market, you should market, bring someone in who's going to manage a team and lead a group of executives, because that's the role of a CEO. And frankly, a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to do it, but they're, too much ego to to not do it is there a uh you know this is always a tough one because there's no you know as an entrepreneur we never do the f word we never you know f-a-i-l we never we never we pivot and change and modify but and we never really regret what we've done but is there something in the past where you're like man if i'd have just done that sooner my whole trajectory would have probably been different in not better or worse, but just in a different trajectory that probably would have been better as a whole for everything. You, you know, you can't change who you are and how you got there, but is there one thing you're like, if I'd have gave up that CFO role quicker, right? Would that have changed something for you or empower somebody on your team? Do you have a, an aha moment or like, man, if I could just have changed that, that would have been really cool. Uh, it, uh, it's more of a theme. If I had just made harder decisions earlier, I think it would have been almost better in every case. I think, we try to convince ourselves that this person will work and it'll get better or this will be okay. And we try to avoid a hard conversation and all we create is a harder conversation. Three months later, I was saying to someone yesterday who was asking for advice around this. I said, look, this is what happens. He has a, you know, this person was in a relationship. I'm like, you're in a relationship, right? So when, when you when you don't have the conversation and you don't have the conversation, you don't have the conversation, then you finally have it six months later you inevitably start listing all of the backward stuff when you when it, when the dam finally bursts and and then it's just even a bigger mess <laughs> so yep. you know i we all fall into that trap and then you did that and that and we, we you've been pissed about this stuff for like 6 months and i haven't heard about it so i would have said universally i think if i had just made harder decisions earlier and i'm still not great at that i find it a little bit sometimes in conflict with the role of being the cheerleader or, or, you know, the person who's supposed to kind of bring people together and, and, and make them feel better. And, but, but those hard decisions are, are, are part of being a leader and 99. I also saw a quote once said that the longest point of an entrepreneur's life is the, the difference between when they know what they have to do and they do it. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Spot on, you know, it, the, 
looks like you have successfully navigated, you know, entrepreneurs, they go on, they want to do business and they want to do whatever that is they are, that they do. That's your skill set. And they're going to run a business, but they're basically self-employed and they do everything right. And then you make that transition, which is perfectly fine, but you're, you're just self-employed. You're not an entrepreneur per se, right? You're, you're doing the yeah. things, but not, and then you make the conviction where I want to build a business. How long were you, quote, an entrepreneur before you said, this is BS, I need to build a business? How, how long did that take you to make that switch? That was a couple of years. It was about a million in revenue, seven or eight people. And and again, totally burnt out. And I was like, I, I'm at the max of me. So that's when I actually hired kind of a VP of client service, who's now our CEO over 10 years later. Uh, but that was the inflection point of very clear that this was not going to work much longer. And uh, what what kind of got you there wasn't going to get you there. What got you here wasn't going to get you there. No. And that's hard as an entrepreneur to what you just did is you had to trust somebody, you had to empower them, you had to delegate. And and that's really hard for an entrepreneur because we know it all, right? We we can do it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But you don't when have you to do that. start finding people that are smarter than you, it gets really addictive, right? It's and then you're like, the I don't want to do anything anymore. Like, let's just keep finding people that are smarter than me. It's it's yeah because I think the entrepreneur is is like the glue right that holds the they're not the best finance person they might be the best salesperson that you know and but but eventually they're not going to be the best salesperson when the sales requires a process and a sales team management they are probably the best evangelist which is the salesperson early mm -hmm. on and and I just it's that realization that everyone else will have better nuance like I I'm a good marketer. I'm a marketing person by DNA, but our CMO knows much more about tactical marketing than I'll never, I'll never, I'll ever know. That was a good hire for that one. That was a great hire. Do yeah. You, do you have a, uh, you know, when you're really good as an entrepreneur in your line of work and do what you do, do you ever say, man, I just so believe in my, our product and service. If I could just get that client that you have some carnal knowledge of, say, if I just could get that client, I could rock their world and make them the best ever. Do you have that dream client that you have that you would love to go after? Um, I'm not that involved. Like I'm not day to day anymore. So, um, and we have some great brands, so that's not sort of out of my, like I'm, I'm, I'm working with the team on leadership development and MA. I think the business is much more in the hands of of other people. So I, I haven't thought, I haven't thought about that, but, but generally we believe we can help anyone kind of improve what they're doing. So I guess then I'm going to switch what he said and ask. So what is it? What's your vision? What's something, what's something big you're going after then at this point in your journey? Yeah. I, I'm trying to help like a hundred thousand people discover their personal core values because I, I to me that is the foundation of leadership and as we have done work with our team and i've written about this and eventually created a course to help people with this i think that if you want to become a level four or five leader you are not going to do that in in a, in a in a cookie cutter way it has to be aligned with you and your values and most people are not aware of these things they're not aware of the things that are showing up in their management style every day that have to do with deep back to the psychology, childhood and formative experiences about who they are. And they're totally missing this connection. And when they put it together, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. You know, I, I, I've seen managers who, who, you know, they, they, they are managing based on trust in, and, and it turns out, you know, they have a core value of trust and a violation of trust at some point in their life where, again, if you're someone on their team and you show up five minutes late or you miss a deadline, like you're dead to them, but they don't, 
they don't know that. They don't know how to communicate that. And when we work with them on that, then they go to the team and they say, Hey, Glenn and Julie, like, welcome to my team. Like, just so you know, like trust is super important to me. Like I have a small group of of friends and colleagues and I give trust right away, but like, it's really, if you lose it with me, it's really hard to get it back. And here are the ways that you can lose trust. So they're kind of like giving the team the operating system. Cause once someone is, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, like you're not going to change who they are. And, and that is very endemic in the style of leader that they show up with. So I've done a lot of really deep work with a lot of leaders. And I, it, even for me too, it runs really deep as to why they do what they do, how they show up. And I think people should understand that and go use that as a strength. So I'm just curious, how did that passion come to the forefront? of doing that? How did, how did you go from doing this over here to like, you were like, man, I'm just going to dive in two feet and this is my passion and this is what I want to do. Um, my passion's sharing ideas that help people and organizations grow. So there's a logical progression from building an organization to focusing on building leaders, to focusing on building leaders and leadership inside my organization and outside on leadership development, having these conversations over and over again about strengths and weaknesses and values and 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 when really getting into them, seeing that there were these core things for people over and over again that were really driving them and fundamental to their leadership that they had not kind of discovered or figured out yet. So it was really just of a pattern and saying, I think this is really the one of the key things that most people can do. Again, that level four or five, like you know, transcendent leader who makes everyone else better that that I've seen companies with their standards for leader. This is what a leader does well, but you can't tell someone the type of leader that they have to be. That's very unique to them and, and, and who they are. And as you do some of these personality things and why things, you realize like they are acting in this way already. They just don't understand the why (laughs) they haven't connected the the dots, right? They haven't connected why, you know, someone who's embarrassed about being an underachiever, you know, for for a lot of their childhood and speaking of myself is is then trying to make everything better all the time and where that's good and where that's bad, right? In the context of the organization and their and their leadership style. Is it a fair statement to say, do you work with megacorp or smaller companies? Um, What's your when you say work, so it, it's a little spread out for me. So yeah, so accelerations partners clients uh, are pretty big companies. Okay. Um, I, I can't say half the big no. ones, but you you you'd, you'd see no. them. I mean, the Home Depots, the the you know, we've worked with companies that rhyme with fruit and stuff in the past. So yeah, pretty pretty big companies. Although we have a products for emerging companies as well. Um, you know, separately, my my books and speaking and stuff that I do is is more towards companies and trade organizations and otherwise. So I have sort of those two parts to my to my life right now. And the reason I ask that is because it it seems like Megacorp generally like I remember back in the day GE that's all they did is develop leaders. They had a great program under Jack like they just they just developed that. And you think the big companies got it figured out, but everybody else they never shared that manual with all the smaller companies, right? And so I no. didn't know if you were able to take what they do and put it to the smaller company, or if you're just augmenting the bigger company, right? I, I just, that's why I was asking. I think it's a little bit of both. My guess is some of those programs were were overly designed to be a good leader at GE. 
right? And not leadership overall. To me, some of the capacity building stuff I've, I've written about is you should become a better, there are some things that would be your leadership in your work, life, family, everywhere that would improve all aspects of your lives. And, and while work gets the business benefit of that, people outside, like if you... Again, you get better on time management and communication and prioritization and fiscal literacy. Like these, these are all things that will uh, help you. Um, but it's tricky these days because you don't have those were like multi-year commitment programs, and you don't have that kind of tenure uh, at large organizations. But I, I defer to that sort of you know meme, the CEO and the CFO. What if we train all these people and they leave? And the, mm-hmm. the the CFO says, and the CEO says, well, what if we don't and they stay? I, I, I'm, I'm very happy developing the next generation of leaders, whether they stay at our company or then move on to our industry and create kind of a halo effect. Yeah, just, it's all about creating excellence. Do you, when you have this type of thing, you know, as an entrepreneur, like anybody listening here, the premise would be is, okay, what point in their journey would one want to bring in somebody that can help them not only identify who they are and what their values are in those things and how to lead and then expand that to the rest of the organization at what part of that journey do you think is that important? Is that, you know, in the, in the first month, is that the first five years? When, when does that, should that go in? I know it's an individual thing, but you know, when is it probably a good time? Yeah. I look before you manage, you should learn some basic tactics around management. I mean, we kind of teach people afterwards normally when they're in trouble, rather than before. It's like kind of, you get your driver's license, but you haven't driven a car yet, which is kind of a weird uh, concept. But in terms of real transcendent leadership training, I like starting that after you've been managing for a year or so. I think you need some reps. I think you need to like, a lot of us start with best practices, right? So I worked for Glenn and Julie and my first thing as a manager is I love the stuff Glenn did and I'm going to double down on that. And God, I hated the stuff Julie did and I'm going to avoid that. It's kind of like we do with our parents' styles. Mm-hmm. We, and, and then I think eventually we're like, eh, that's not really me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm patchwork quilled. I'm throwing on some stuff from other people. So I, I think it takes a couple reps where people then are willing to lean in. I think if you do the really deeper leadership stuff before people have led, they won't have the context for it. So I like starting to work with someone after they've been managing for the first time, maybe for a year or two where they're like, I, I can, a lot of this stuff isn't working for me. And why is that? And I think they realize there's a, there's sort of a, a lack of authenticity to some of the things that they're doing. And they've been using a lot of best practices, but some just aren't them. And, 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 and then they're kind of more willing to do that work. Yeah. I kind of equate that. I went and got a, a golf lesson and, uh, when I actually saw what I was really doing on video, the horror, but until you do it and see it, you don't know. And then you're like, oh, now it's time to get some help because I am absolutely effing this up so bad. It's horrible. And I think it's the same thing. You have to not fail, but you just have to kind of mess it up and put that contact. Yeah. You got to be trying. The lesson before you swung the club would be, would be really hard. Yeah. Cause you have no, you have no framework to know what that even looks like. So I, I think that's a good analogy. It golf it transcends everything, Julie. Oh, I'm not a golfer. Yeah. I can't do it. It takes too much time, but I have a, I have a question and I think you've alluded to it. What is your superpower? Um, it's a good question. I think my superpower is to find uh, mutually beneficial relationships. Um, and, and I've done that my whole career is to put together a, B and C where 
everyone benefits from it. Um, and that's kind of a little bit what our organization does overall, not, not, not surprisingly. Um, but that's something that's always come pretty naturally to me. You know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's a lonely, lonely journey, right? Nobody can yeah. comprehend what you're dealing with and you can't share that you made a million and lost a million because people look at you like you have two heads and, and it's kind of scary at some points. And at some point, you know, you're faced with the monster behind the door. What was your biggest fear you had to overcome and just said, I just got to grind this thing out. You, you recall what that might've been where you're like, this is, this is it. If I don't get over this, this is never going to happen. Uh, well, it, I think as long as it's this sort of fear of loss, right, of what you built. In fact, like, we've all been talking about this recession for 10 years that hasn't really come other than two months. Oh, it's coming. It's I, coming. And I, yeah. <laughs> but but had I had I five years ago and everything planned and locked down all the hatches for the look, and I, I actually believe on always being conservative and money for a rainy day. And we did a lot of things that got us through 2020 much better than other people. But our business would be one tenth of the size if we had batted down the hatches for the recession seven years ago. That haven't, <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. So I, I don't think you want you don't want all your chips on the table, right? You don't want to be putting yourself always in a, a position. But if you're planning for the worst all the time, um, which which I, as you build something, you can get into that loss prevention mode. Then inherently, I think that's fairly restrictive. So you're saying that if you try to inhibit what you're destined to do. You're not going to make it. Exactly. Bingo. Um, do you have any, um, you know, Julie usually asks this question, but, uh, you know, I'll, you want to do this one? Mm, you got no, it. No, go ahead. You, you, do, you do it well. I don't know which one you're referring the, to. Uh, this one right here. Oh. Ah, ooh. I do love this question. So it's a <laughs> trick question. What is your end game? My end game uh, is to try to positively impact uh, the lives of a million people. Or is that something you're going to retire when you're 45, 50, 60, 90? I think that the context is, are you going to ever stop being an entrepreneur? I, I don't think that's something that, no. I, I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop being creative and have ideas. I do believe, so a uh, brilliant guy named Derek Sivers, founder of CD Baby, um, you know, had, had one of the first big e-com businesses and, I interviewed him when I introduced him as an entrepreneur. And he's like, I haven't started a business in 10 years. I'm not an entrepreneur. Now I'm kind of an, an artist and a creator and these things. And I kind of love that because he's like, look, you can't, you can't hang your hat on that. So I will always be putting new ideas, creative. Always, but if I haven't started a business in 10 years, then I'm, I, I'm probably not an entrepreneur anymore. So I love, I love that Derek said that because to me, and he's the guy who likes to change his mind and be convinced where, it, you know, you don't want to live in this past definition of our, our ourselves. So, so we're all about, maybe I'm a author who helps people, or maybe I'm a teacher or a professor that talks about entrepreneurship. Although I don't, I don't think you should teach entrepreneurship in a classroom, <laughs> whole different discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think our identity is always, always shifting a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, if I haven't started a new initiative or business in five years, next five years, I, you can say I was an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur. I'm not sure I am an entrepreneur. Well, you're an entrepreneur. And I don't think you're ever going to stop. <laughs> Just like you said, I think you can't, you, you're not wired to stop. Whether or not you own said company or not, you're not, your brain's not stopping. Yes. Thank you. Well, I think, and again, the, the cool thing uh, to give some entrepreneurs hope is there, there is no end game, but ultimately when you can make the conversion from, you know, 
doing business to building a business that can step back, all of a sudden you realize it's not about you anymore. It's not about that one client. It's not about even what you're doing. It's something bigger than you. And I think what you said is your end game is really defines that. And you've probably, you know, you've, whatever that chart would look like, your lower intestine, but it, you reach the point where what you want to do is it's bigger than you. It's changing something, the, the world, the people, just something that is more impactful than just helping client ABC, you know, get a bigger margin or something. It's, it's something bigger than that, which I think is really cool. And most entrepreneurs in that phase, it's really about something that's not about them. You, you, you've got a shift, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, there's a great book. Everyone seems to be reading. Maybe it's the midlife crisis book now, but it's from, uh, uh, from strength to strength by, uh, David Brooks. And he just talks about that. Like the, the, the first leg of the race just needs to look different from the second leg of the race. And particularly those who are high achievers. The problem is as soon as we cross the line, we move the line, we stop even trying to figure out why we're achieving stuff. And, and actually it becomes less fulfilling and less fulfilling. And so you need to shift, right? Your, 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 your cognitive ability, you know, you look at the data, the physicists, like no one's ever done anything meaningful after like 30, you know, in terms of a new idea. So his thing is it becomes more about your experience and synthesizing and people. And so I, I think we all need to make that shift or else we'll be kind of running on this treadmill for, for no reason. Which is no good. Well, Rob, I appreciate you being on the show. I know Julie this as well as you want to give a little uh, plug on your company and things so people that are listening to this might go, wow, I'm, I might need that guy. Yeah. So if you're interested in uh, partner marketing, affiliate marketing, how we could help you, you want to go to accelerationpartners.com. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about my book, speaking, writing, I also have a newsletter that started to my uh, team uh, seven years ago, just kind of a note and everyone started sharing it. That kind of now goes to 200,000 people a week around the world called Friday Forward. So that's all at Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. And we'll make sure all that gets in the show notes. Yes. Well, really appreciate you, you know, going on here and I, you know, I hope your, uh, I hope your Patriots do, do well with the, uh, <laughs> Without Thanks. Brady, right? Uh, he's he's never coming back. We're, we're moving on. Succession. Yes. It's a big That's part a, of leadership. It's a yeah. big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Well, appreciate your time today. And right. uh, I hope our uh, listeners will get some value out of that. I know I did and appreciate your time. And Julie, always a pleasure. And we'll yeah. see you on the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.